Hawks Insiders, home of quality analysis, special features, match recaps, interviews, and so much more. Follow us on Substack for extended coverage of all things brown and gold. Hi everyone, good evening, wherever you are, Brown and Gold planet of ours, Ashley Brown here, welcome to Hawks Insiders, Thursday night safe space, saying goodbye to round 10, saying hello to round 11, um, and a fair bit to get through once again, never a dull week at the Hawthorne Football Club, it seems, or in football in general, so we will get to it in the next 60 minutes or so. Um, we are flying very light tonight in the uh, Hawks Insiders. Uh, everybody seems to be out about doing other things, but thankfully, Andrew Weiss will do the heavy lifting. He'll be uh, he'll be running the show for us at the back end on the Hawks Insiders account. Weissy, good evening. Good evening, Ash. Good evening, everyone. Yes, uh, we seem to say it every week, down a few soldiers, but certainly this week we're going to need uh, the mix, the Patricks, the Scots, everyone to get involved and help be part of the discussion because there was a little bit of news around this week, Ash. Yes, with everyone I've spoken to was uh, said so sarcastically, oh, it's been a quiet week, hasn't it? So it has been a lot happening in the football world. Um, as Weezy said, we'd like to make this as wide-ranging a conversation as possible. I think Brad will be joining us in progress, hopefully. No idea where Darren is, no idea where Danny is, no idea where Mora is, but uh, clearly you have uh, major things going on not to be with us tonight. But we will soldier on, as we always do. Andrew, we will start with uh, the events of last Saturday after, last Sunday afternoon at Utah Stadium in sunny Launceston. It was Hawthorne. It sounds weird saying this. Hawthorne 22-10-142, defeated West Coast 4-2-26. Um, not a lot to say too much out of it um, in terms of disposals for the Hawks. It was 30 to James Sicily and Connor Nash, 28 to Josh Wordle, 27 to uh, James Warple. 24 to Will Day, 24 to John Newcomb, 24 to Mitch Lewis, 24 to Lockie Bramble, 23 to Carl Amon. We could go on and on and on. And of course, if goal kicking is your thing, Mitch Lewis had six, Luke Bruce had three, Jacob Kaziski had two, as did Cam McKenzie, Tyler Brockman, and Josh Weddle, who was the recipient this week of the uh, NAB Rising Star nomination. It was always going to be a Hawthorne nomination this week. You put a Hawthorne bike up this week when you know they had a win because we don't know how many more occasions there will be for the rest of the season. Really, it could have been three. It could have been Seamus Mitchell on body of work. Cam McKenzie on body of work. But Josh Weddle played so well that he had to get in. So um, that was that out of the game. I want to take a slightly different approach um, to talk about this one. Rather than the good and the bad, there was so much good and very little bad. Andrew, you can wear two hats. The first hat, you're pretty doing school debating here. You're going to take both sides. But the first thing I want to argue is, why should we get excited by a performance like that? Yeah, well, I think that um, when talking about the, the performance, it's not just about what we've seen in isolation, right? Like, if you look at how the season's unfolded, uh, we were bitterly disappointed in round one. Um, against the Bombers. Uh, we were bitterly disappointed uh, against the Swans, though that was to be expected. Had the, the good win against North, so reward for effort. Bitterly disappointed against Geelong, and all of a sudden you're starting to think about, is this going to be a shambles of the season? And then the effort against the Giants, where we were, where we enjoyed it, the game in Adelaide, Ash, the effort against the Crows, even the effort against the Dogs, you're starting to see um, all of the positives that you're taking out of it. And and I think what those three games in a row did, uh, this is my big build-up to West Coast, obviously, what the three games in a, a row did helped to recalibrate what we're looking for this season and, and to see the green shoots and to 
keep looking at the development of our kids and try and take the positive. So the Frio loss was disappointing. Um, lost to Melbourne with only a third quarter to show for it. So to to turn around against the Eagles and do what no one else has done this year, I think that's something that's got to be highlighted. Um, no one else has been able to absolutely uh, put them to the sword at, to, to this level. Carl, well, Carl's um, points over there. Well, it's a couple, couple goals short. I mean, we should have ended up over 120 point winners if Mitch Lewis had kicked that goal. So um, I, I just think that it was great for the supporters. It's great for the confidence. It's great for the kids to be able to get a win. It's great for kids to touch the footy. Half of the team kicked goals. It was just an absolute celebration. And, you know, we, we know, the players know, the club know that we're going to lose a hell of a lot more games than we win this year and potentially next year as well. So they, these are the sorts of games and moments that help, really, really help bring um, the enthusiasm, the passion and the encouragement back when you get back to your hotel, get onto the plane, come back to training and you're up and about. Where When you're losing every week, you know, that can certainly take a fair bit out of you. So... Yeah, I mean, you can go through almost every line individually and pick the positives. You can go through so many players and pick the positives. And yes, it was West Coast. Yes, they're the worst team in the competition. But we still had to do it, and we did. And that was bloody exciting. Just no two or three players, perhaps not the obvious one necessarily, but uh, two or three players you just were really impressed by. Yeah, so... I mean, if I if I was giving my votes, my three, two, and one, well, I had um, Mitch Lewis getting two votes. So I'll remove him from the equation because obviously you kick the bag, you get the you, you know you get noticed, you get the plaudits. My one vote was for Josh Weddle, um, and it's interesting as you said, um, it, it was too good a game to be ignored. Where traditionally for rising star. They'll often go for body of work, and and that potentially would have got um, got uh, Seamus Mitchell or a, or even Cam McKenzie, who who also had a ripping game um, that that nomination. But Weddle's game, his first quarter, the couple of goals in the first quarter, um, it was the first real opportunity we got to see him in um, the position we naturally think he's going to have, right, running off a halfback flank and eventually pushing up to a wing um, as opposed to having to play uh, more of a key defensive role. And uh, I mean, not having to play that key defensive role, having Blank in the team, who did a fantastic job on Oscar Allen, it unlocked Sis and it unlocked Josh Weddle. Well, what do you think about Weddle's game, Ash? Because he's your My boy. boy. I thought he was terrific, Weddle. He's... In, where he, I thought he looked a bit lost in his first game against the Bulldogs. It's not fascinating to see how he goes on Saturday against St Kilda back at Marvel because I thought he got a bit lost. But he's he's improved with every game since then, and he's he uses the ball. He, he's got a huge tank they can deploy him sort of anywhere at the moment, anywhere sort of half forward all the way back to, to the back line. Uh, uses the ball well. You can just see he's grown in confidence. Um, and I happen to in the office today and um, two policemen walked in or two pol- a, a policeman and police woman walked in in uniform and I thought straight away well uh, what's Hutchie done here what have we what done what's Hutchie done here but uh, <laughs> then I sort of they were just sort of waiting reception I just waiting outside I said oh can I help you they said no we're right and I was sort of waiting to go into the SCN studio and then I thought hang on a sec so I went and had a look at my got at my uh, phone and went had a quick look at the Hawthorne app because I knew that he'd done a video Weddle with his parents a couple of weeks ago before the Melbourne game. And then I realised it was Josh Weddle's parents. So I doubled back and just sort of didn't really introduce myself. I didn't want to say like too much or nothing, but I said, hi, I just want to let you know your son's a legend and we're all big fans. And uh, they thought it was fantastic. But Weddle Senior is a brute of a man. He is a, he's he's a, a big guy, very, very he? big man. So I don't know whether, if Josh Weddle hasn't finished growing yet, 
and sometimes, you know, people, he's 18 or just turned 19 today. It's happy birthday, Josh, if you're listening. If he's going to grow a little bit more and spit the size of his father and can keep that sort of fitness, he will be a freak. So I just think there is massive, massive upside for Josh Weddle. I'm, I'm expecting the contract extensions to be announced by the club pretty much any day now because I think uh, he's clearly a, a keeper. But I thought his guns were excited. So I think he's got a, you know, I think it was his, his breakout game. But this is what the other part of it. Do we, I mean, West Coast were terrible. They were absolutely terrible. They were, they gave Witches Hats a bad name. That's how poor they were. Do we temper expectations with how, just how bad West Coast were at reading some of the media coming out of WA this week about what a disgraceful performance it was? Should we be tempering our excitement? So uh, I'll get to, uh, there is one other player I want to talk about in terms of the positive breakouts from the game. Um, uh, on one hand, yes, but I don't think we need to do that now. Like, if we get absolutely smashed by St Kilda on the weekend, we're going to be talking about that, aren't we? We're going to be talking about how it was um, fool's gold and... Yes, it was great to get a win and to smash them, but back to reality, that's fine. Let's worry about that on Saturday night. Why do we need to worry about that now? We know they're terrible. We know they're one of the worst teams. Well, uh, they are. You mentioned witches' hats. Like It was like watching training drills where there would have been 10 of the goals all the way back from the back line whole passage of the way through without an Eagles player touching it, that on any given week, any one of those goals would be like our play of the day, like when we do the clip in the match recap, like incredible movement. And and obviously that was based on having a team that were hopeless as the opposition. But I don't think we need to harp on that too much now as opposed to the positives, because we still went on with the job and absolutely smashed them. So um, for now, I wouldn't worry about it. If Weddle's allowed to continue to play a, an un, a less accountable role, I should say, off a halfback or a wing, as opposed to, you know, being that second or third key defender, um, yeah, I, I mean, he's going to have down weeks. He's going to continue having good weeks, but... For his age, he's a beast. And if, if he does have those growth spurts you talked about, it's um it's very, very exciting. The, the other player, Ash, I want to talk about um, is someone that I, I mentioned on the player review pod. I, I'm the first to put my hand up and say, as a half forward, like his papers were stamped and I was front, of the queue saying the Irish experiment has to end. Um, But Connor Nash is an absolute beauty. He's an absolute beast. And what I loved about his game on the weekend was that it was a legitimate four-quarter effort. Um, He was just a monster all day. And it wasn't just because it was West Coast, because he's put four or five brilliant weeks of football together. Um, He was 100% my best on ground. Uh, And, yeah, uh, we, in our um, WhatsApp app during the week, we were talking about our grand final starting midfield in three years' time uh, and talking about who the wingers are, who the starting midfield is... Um, and as opposed to 12 months ago when we're already starting to think about whether he would be part of it in in, in another two years' time, it, it's hard to look past how, you know, how could he not be there? Our comment here from Phineas Mere, thought Nash was BOG against Eagles. Don't put much store in the wind, but, geez, it was great to win. Well, I think that's right. I haven't had the stats in front of you. If someone wants to take a slight detour this evening while they're listening to this uh, spaces and do a comparison of Connor Nash's stats over the last few weeks and Patrick Cripps, I'd be fascinated to know because he's playing at a Cripps-like level at the moment, uh, Nash, in terms of accumulating of the ball, contested possessions, 
uh, tackling one percent as the defensive side of his game. He really is stacking up against the Brownlow medalist um, in so many categories. And I agree with you. I had his card marked about six, seven weeks ago. I thought he was just a bridging player. I thought Cooper Stevens is a player they'd brought to the club to be sort of the tall midfielder that they needed to break the mould. And he had a higher, uh, he would have a higher ceiling than Connor Nash, but Nash is. Uh, Previously, mugs at the moment. He's been absolutely outstanding for the Hawks. Patrick, good evening. You uh, want to join the conversation? I need to joke first. Uh, James Sicily must be asking why that game wasn't played at Waverley or uh, Dingley because the way they were playing, it may as well have been training. But what I was going to say was you'd almost feel bad for CJ out of that being injured in that game because you'd think that the way Hawthorne playing, were playing that way with, through the midfield would have been perfect for him to find some form. Yeah, good comments. Well, they would have found some form. I mean, the three players, you know, you think would try and get to that side on that form. You know, you think where, where would they fit? Uh, where would they fit Scrimshaw? Where would they fit CJ? And where would they fit uh, Josh Ward? They're the three players who come to mind. And also brings the other question: um, is they kick twenty-two goals, ten without? Uh, Chad Wingard in the side and everybody seems to think that uh, having Butler and Brockman and Bruce as your three small forwards, the killer bees as someone said to me, one of my mates said to me uh, was a better combination playing at the feet of Kaczynski and Lewis so they've got a bit of a selection conundrum to come none of those players are back this week of course for the, uh, for the St Kilda game but uh, certainly there is a fair bit of uh, yeah, there's, there's a fair fair bit to like. I try not to get too excited by it. It was, it was much as it's nice to see Hawthorne have a big win. Um, it wasn't the most enjoyable game, as I said in the on the uh, in the recap article. We see, I think, a couple of the teams I'd rather they put to the sword than West Coast. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I mean, again, it depends which side of the fence you, you sit on, but I. I I think that, and we had a comment from Mick as well, that there's no lairising in the way we played. It showed a commitment to the game plan. That's all you can ask for. So um, there's probably a couple of other players. So DGB, like, it's the sort of game that you'd want him to be involved in. Um, I find interesting Connor McDonald. Like, he came on as the Sarbash for the second half and played on the inside and was absolutely magnificent and can't crack it into the team this week against the Saints. So I'm starting to wonder about, uh, you know, DGB the next, having written that article about Scrimshaw a couple of weeks ago and what is going on, DGB is the next natural player to be asking the question what is going on with him but Connor McDonald's probably sneaking up into that category as well. Uh, Mick has kindly sent through some comparisons. So Connor Nash is going at 75% efficiency I think. Cripps 66% I think that, that figure is. 80, uh, Nash 80, 8.7 kicks Cripps 10.1. Handballs Nash 14.6. Cripps 17.8 Contested possessions 10.3 to 16.1 Uncontested 13.5 to 12.1. So he's got a bit of work to do still. Connor Nash and kept it up. That's spring. for the whole season, yeah, though, that isn't is the it? Whole season. But uh, he's had a fantastic few weeks. Um, so we will um, we will put park that one there a little bit. My um, my uh, brief most weeks is the fan experience. Well, as I said, my experience was watching the game on the couch. It was interesting to note that. Uh, a couple of commentators, people that I'm on radio with once a week, uh, were working the game, one being Jared Healy and one being Kane Corns. Now, I think Kane has... Um, Kane is, well, I think, by virtue of having the fortnightly conversation with Sam Mitchell, and I suspect a few uh, background conversations with him, I think Kane has sort of started to understand what the Hawks are doing. The other one is David King. They all happen to be calling this game, but I think it was fascinating to listen to over the course of the game. I think the penny dropped for King and for Jared Healy, influential commentators in their own right, as to what the Hawks have been trying to do. And I think they might be starting to come around as to something that we here at Hawks Insiders, and I'm sure the majority, the vast majority of Hawthorne supporters and certainly the, the very smart people who, who, are, who are our subscribers and listeners, 
have understood this for a while, but I think the footy media, Andrew, starting to cotton on. I think it's taken 10 weeks to sort of work out what it is the Hawks are trying to do. And perhaps, after all, they might just have a clue what they're doing. But it's not, I mean, this is not surprising, is it, Ash? Like, this is just how it works. This is actually how it works. And as we start getting good and move back into a good on-field team, hopefully by then a lot of the off-field stuff is gone, we won't be the article after article easy target that they go after. It'll be the next team. And they will all be on board and they are the ones that forget about all the stuff that they've said or done or their angles when we were down because whoever's next, they'll then go after West Coast or North Melbourne until they get their stuff together. Nice, not to use the swear word there. And they get on track and their narrative changes and then they jump onto the next. I mean, it's the negative stuff that keeps fueling the articles. So when there's no negative stuff to be talking about, uh, you've got to get on board and move to the next. That's generally how they operate, yeah? Like the classic yesterday's, yesterday, today's headlines, it's tomorrow's fish and chip wrappers. So, yeah, not, not surprising. Kane's a little bit different, though, because I agree with you. Since he had started having Sam on the program, he had already started shifting um, and even in some cases going into bat and defending what we were trying to do. So, yeah, it won't be long till everyone else is on board as well. Yeah, that's right. All right I think we'll put that game to bed there. We've uh, spent uh, 20 minutes talking about it. It was a great win. We look forward to we'll talk, look at the security game uh, uh, towards the end of the spaces. So there's lots of news going on the Hawks. Um, we will work through it in different uh, phases, but we'll start with you, Mick. How are you? Good, thanks, Ash. Good to have Yourselves? you with us. We yeah. are good. Uh, don't go anywhere. Good, Mick. We're going to go through a few things with you. Um, the mid-season draft is looming. I believe you're out training today, so I want to get your observations as to who trained, what one might glean? I think they did a bit of match sim. What uh, what your observations out of what you saw at training today, in particular the four players that I think the Hawks had a look at today? Yeah, it was the four that have been in the press. It was Marrick, Stanley, and then the two tall ruckmen, um, uh, Elliot and is it Cutler? Yeah, yeah. They were they were they were really on the sideline for the match sim. To be perfectly honest. Um, but they were in the. They were more in the actual drills during the uh, pr- prior to and after the match. Sim, you know, the obvious one was Marek Moose, best of all. Stanley, similarly, the two Ruckman. It's really hard to tell because they didn't go up against Reeves or um, Meek. They were, you know, they were floating around and more as tall forwards. Interestingly, they did a bit of forward work in after the match sim, playing as tall forwards. They broke into two groups. One down the. Uh, what would you say, the freeway in, which is uh, uh, to the right of screen, use it that way, and one to the, the old police, scoreboard end. The end. old police road end. And the yeah, the police road, end. the scoreboard end and the non-scoreboard end. So, that was the big um, scoreboard and the little scoreboard. Yeah, the big, yeah, the, the, the small scoreboard, yeah. 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 So they were, they were doing some one-on-one stuff with some defenders and things like that, kicking, you know, they were kicking, you know, one of the coaches were kicking from 50 out and they were doing the contested marking. Um, so it's really hard to tell the to be honest, you know, because I think it'll come down to West Coast. I, I doubt they'd take a non-West Australian. There's the West Australian over there, Buller or whomever, you know, because they've got to pay relocation costs and all that sort of stuff. Then well, North, you take Cully last year, so yeah, not beyond the realms. Not beyond like the yeah. best available player. Yeah. Um, then I heard today that um, North are in for a Ruckman, um, uh, probably, and it's um, – I keep getting his butler. Is it um, – uh, Clay Tucker, Clay, Clay Tucker is the one. Right. Yeah, is the one they're interested in. Then it comes down to you know where to get Marrick, or uh, do the other one heard today was um, the kid from Bullants, uh, Ryan. Yeah, who has and told Stanley. people that he's that he's spoken to Hawthorne. So mm. the Hawks having having a look. I mean, what if they go a ruckman with Lynch out for the season? Sam Mitchell did say today they think they're a bit thin yeah. in the ruck department now. Um, yeah, Reeves hobbles 
last week. You know, you're clearly mm. playing on a gimpy ankle, so he can't play. But he has to be shut down for a period. They're back to having just uh, uh, Meek Ramsden. and Ramsden. So mm. do they go a short-term ruck fill till the end of the season? Or, or, or what do they do? What do you think they'll do? If you look at how Ramsden played against the big bloke from Southport last week, he just got manhandled. So he wouldn't last a season playing as a second ruck, I wouldn't have thought, at the AFL level. So they need a third, they'll need a third ruckman. So with one, you'd suggest that if we're if we're going to use the two picks, that there'd be ruckman available with the second pick, uh, and that with with pick, well, hopefully it's still pick three, um, next best available. Yeah, because Marrick and the other big forward, yeah, and that Marrick Marrick has also put the eighteen month contract on the table too. So you've got to commit to him for a season and a half. Um, so that'll be interesting in that regard, I think, for, for West Coast. Um, so yeah, Merrick's, def- a, Merrick's a forward, isn't he? Yeah, forward and probably a pinch hit forward, half Ruckman. Um, he moved well when he played at Box Hill on, on the weekend. You know, he wasn't out of the depth in, at that level um, at all. Um, so, yeah, the Stanley's the interesting one because I think they've sort of committed to him early. Um, now, whether they follow through or not, that, that's a different that's a different argument, I'd suggest, um, in terms of needs. I can't tell uh, them getting Merrick and Stanley uh, and a Ruckman. It's just like they've got a, a fair bit to work through. Yeah, but I don't... Yeah, yeah I that's what I'm saying. They sound like they're committed to uh, Stanley. Mm, yeah, so... Um, but again, with other clubs not knowing him and he hasn't been through the system, would they take that risk on him? You know, would they say, OK, we'll give him another, another you know, Half a season at Box Hill. Now, the interesting one, obviously, in all of this is Callum Brown's just gone right out the back door. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I don't, uh, I don't think we'll need a part of Callum Brown. No, no, I agree got, too. Yeah, yeah. But where yeah. others have a look at him. So he'd be, he'd be disappointed. He was so close to getting picked up by Hawthorne. Mm. Just not sure there's a uh, role for him. Yeah. Maybe another club will pick him up. I, to be honest, I haven't paid a lot of attention to him. I'm not sure how many teams have had picks. Mm. But you tend in the pre it tends to be in the mid season draft. Where's your, your recollection as well? You tend to get who you want. Yeah. There's not too many cases of teams being dotted with a, you know, waiting to get a player and someone snooping in together. You can't trade picks, you can't move up and down the order. So, and you can sort of, yeah, I think work the out only, yeah, uh, the, the only, I mean, obviously when it came to Giant Newcomb, we thought we'd be able to get him with our second pick and um, we were looking at, uh, it was the Ruckman, wasn't it? Uh, the Ruckman Gold Coast. And all of a sudden, before it all happened, we were, you know, we were starting to think we'd be able to get them both. Um, but obviously, the club started cottoning on, and we had to make sure we took Jai with that first pick. So, but but at the end of the day, he was clearly our number one priority. So that absolutely falls into line with. With what you're saying, especially when you've got your early picks, it's pretty much sorted and you get the player that you're after. Just to go back to your earlier discussion, I know we've moved on, but the, the player that's dropped off the off the screen really is Scrimshaw. Like he's not even in the emergency list this week. Um, so where he fits in with CJ coming back too, um, yeah. Well, as I said last week, they've got they've they've got too many. For tall, rebounding, intercept mm. defenders. They've actually got too many of them. And mm. at the moment, it's, you know, the, the ideal setup for Hawthorne is Sicily playing as a third defender. Um, and you can squeeze, then you can have one more of that type in the side, and that would probably be CJ when he comes back. But yeah, I think Scrimshaw plays too similarly to other players. So he's in a, it's, a, it's a really interesting situation with Scrimshaw. Mm. And the club hasn't been entirely forthcoming, apart from the bland. Statement they gave uh, they gave us another media outlet last week, Lucy. But I don't think they've been entirely forthcoming with scripture. Yeah, yeah there, there there has to be something else there. But let me flip that around and ask you, Ash. Right now, you have to play CJ or Scrimshaw. Who are you picking? Uh, well, I think I'm playing CJ because of the upside. But the price all point made today somewhere that a half fit or a half injured CJ is no good. A fully fit CJ. Is, is you know is an outstanding footballer, and I'm not sure we've seen that much of it this year. But when C- CJ's fit and firing, he's a beautiful footballer, adds so much to the side. But he, he drops down about eight pegs when he's not fit. 
Then, then if, if you had, it was an eighty percent CJ versus hundred percent Scrimshaw, I'd play Scrimshaw. What do you think? I happen to you know. Yeah. On. Go on, me. I was saying I walked I walked behind CJ about a month ago, and with COVID, never actually met, seen him in person, and I couldn't get over how fine he was from the hips down. Like he is an athlete, not a football body. You know, if you talk about say fast bowlers, big ass, big thighs. Now, he doesn't have that strength through his lower core. So when he gets caught, he, he doesn't have that drive to break break through. So, you know, I don't know at half back, it actually suits him, to be honest, um, but, which then throws a whole dilemma with that whole midfield. Because Weddle, I think, should be on the wing rather than Bramble. Um, and then C-Mac, you know, he's got to get in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I, I, I think Bramble... I mean, Bramble played well last week, but yeah. I, I think Bramble's a short-term answer in the best 23. I don't... I, I would, I'd be staggered. I mean, look, people look here. We're talking about Connor Nash, but I'd be surprised if if Bramble's in the best twenty-three next season. Weddle goes onto the wing um, in 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 the Hawthorne team next. In the in the best Hawthorne team of twenty twenty-four and beyond. Um, CJ, that they will find a they will find a role for CJ in that in that team for sure. He's too good, too good a player. Not too, I think, and from a marketing point of view, he's the most popular player at the club as well. So they would have a very good reason. Um, not to play. Nick, what else did you know that's out of training? It's, uh... Uh, Josh Ward was the other one who was actually out on the track. He was um, running around. So um, I'd be interested to see whether he plays at Box Hill this week or whether they give him another week of training and then he plays at Box Hill. Um, I think the, the suggestion from Peter Burge on the injury report was that he will uh, he'll miss another yeah. he'll play next week. But I suspect he'll come back through Box Hill. Yeah. I'd like I to just... see his game awareness improve a little bit. The one knock on Josh Ward is once a game he will get caught with the ball. Mm. Mm. And but so the other question is with the uh, like, it's unbelievable compared to twelve twenty four months ago the depth we're building in our midfield unit. How does he fit in? I, I'm not saying there isn't a role for him. Like he has already shown plenty. He's going to be a very good footballer. Is he more of an outside player and therefore, you know, getting the, um, getting the actual rotations right when you've got the Warples and Nashes and Newcombs versus the Days and Mackenzies and Ward? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he slots onto a wing. Maybe he's coming, you know, with his skill set, with his actual precision, with his with his feet. Maybe he's he's coming onto a halfback flank. Mm. I don't know. That, that's the difficulty at this point, isn't it? We, we don't need another halfback flanker. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> the other the well, other pickup that's been quite regular is Frosty. Does very little training. He'll he'll train for about half an hour. And then go off, you know, whether they're managing his knees or whatever else. And it's interesting when they do the warm-up sprints. He's one of the slowest yet on a Saturday or on a, you know, on a game day. He's one of the quickest. So I'm not sure how strong his knees are going forward. That's the other thing. Um, yeah, they they talk frost up at every opportunity. So you know, I know he's a very frustrating footballer for a lot of Hawthorne supporters and Melbourne supporters. Uh, you know, that's still. Chuckle mm. behind the hand, they don't have him anymore. But gee, he's highly re- he's highly regarded at the footy club. So I think if he's going to train half an hour a week and then deliver what he does, I think they're very happy. Oh yeah, no doubt about that. It's just a more a management issue in terms of you know the amount of training he does from the output he provides. Now where he gets inside and does it, what do they call the G, the G trainer with the air, with them the actually G, in the ground, the altitude, yeah, um, that sort of thing. Um, but aside from that, yeah, they a bit more vocal today. It was well, a bit chirpy, a chirpy week, yeah. Maybe yeah. what a windows. Yeah. Mick, excellent. Thank you for your observations as always. Great to have you join us. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again next week. We, we can review the mid-season draft. I think it's Wednesday night. So we can have a chat to you about it all next week. Thanks for that. Mm. Feel free to jump back on later all on. All good. So... That takes care of some of the on-field stuff. I guess the couple of big stories off the field, one with a huge Hawthorne focus, sometimes with a sort of indirect Hawthorne focus, so we'll touch on that as well, is um, is 
uh, Justin Reeves stepping down as Hawthorne Chief Executive after five years. That was announced by the club yesterday, effective immediately. Ash Klein moves in. He's the head of commercial ops at the footy club. He steps in as interim chief executive. A fair bit to digest. I broke it down in a piece on the Substack uh, this morning for Hawks Insiders, uh, for our Substack subscribers. $5 a month, $50 a year. For those who want to step up and be subscribers, you can read my thoughts, but I'll expand on some of them here. Um, it was a tough gig for him. He stepped in difficult circumstances. Um, Tracy Gaudry, uh, that was a bit of a, a, a bit of a mess. He stepped into that, fixed it up. He was an experienced footy administrator, had come from Geelong and I think Collingwood as well. He'd worked at before coming to the Hawks. Um, he, the three big things, I think there were three elements in the end that probably cost him the job. And I said he resigned, and he absolutely did, but I suspect before too long it would have been something else. So I think he probably got out at the right time uh, and was justifiably crushed by it all and worn out, as you would be. There's been a fair bit going on, but I think there were three elements of the his three aspects of his role, three episodes that probably were briefly worth considering. Number one is the um, would be the hub in 2020. Um, the decision was made. A Hawthorne, if you recall, start off in New South Wales, we see, then they went to Perth for a couple of weeks. And then their base for the rest of the time was in South Australia in the Barossa Valley. So they had a situation where they had a 40-minute commute to training every time they want to go and do full ground training and then an hour on the bus to Adelaide Oval, which sort of became their de facto home ground. The draw came out, I don't know if you remember, the April of the draw for the last five or six weeks of the season. Hawthorne were drawn to play in Adelaide for about four or five of those games. So the club took the decision, let's just stay in South Australia rather than get on a plane every week to go up to Queensland to play, uh, rather go to Queensland to be based and then have to get on a plane every week to go and play. Um, yet conflicting reports, and I did, you know, I wrote the book about the COVID season, the AFL COVID season, conflicting reports about whether Hawthorne were, uh, there was room in Queensland. Uh, if they wanted to be based there, at least during the week, there were some of the AFL say, oh, we had room for Hawthorne. There are people at Hawthorne who said that actually wasn't the case and they were pretty much squeezed out and had no choice but to remain in South Australia. But anyway, as the season drew on, and don't forget it was a, it was a late season, went to August and September. So by the time we got to September, it was sort of already, you know, the weather in Queensland was mid-20s. So the Hawthorne players were seeing pictures of all the players in the other clubs sunning themselves and going to the beach and what have you and lazing by the pool when they weren't training. And they were still freezing in the Barossa Valley. And that didn't go down very well. It's a bit stir-crazy. Um, Clarko wasn't at his best, it's fair to say, um, a fair call. And the atmosphere at the club was around the club for those last six, seven weeks of the season, except with the one exception of the uh, farewell game for Stratton and Piopolo, which is a bit of romp against Gold Coast. The atmosphere was pretty tense, and in the end, it cost Hawthorne two pretty high profile, important people. Isaac Smith left the club. Um, he was sort of, the, the, you know, the, such a, a valued on field member of the club. And Graham Wright, the chief executive, more or less fell out with Clarko and others at the club and left the club as well. So Justin Rees uh, certainly didn't have the sole say, but had a big say in the decision to stay in the Barossa. Um, and again, he and Clarko just being in close proximity to each other. That's where the cracks in that relationship started. 2021, of course, then the decision has to be made about Elsa Clarkson's future. Justin Rees very much of the view Others felt at the club as well that it was time to regenerate the list and, you know, to make the big cuts and to play the kids and go back to the draft in a pretty heavy way. Clarko, um, as we know, we see that was probably his go. So that was another sort of area. And that led to the frostiness over the handover as well. It's why the handover partly didn't work because it was a, uh, because uh, Justice Breeze had a fairly big say in the handover process. And if Clarkson... Well before the COVID, uh, well before the the, uh, the cultural review, that story broke last year. We see uh, there's been a lot of talk that uh, Clarkson and Reeves were not on, on speaking terms. So I think it was a bit of history there. And then, of course, we get to the uh, cultural review itself. 
Everybody in football seems to agree that it was done with the best of intentions. Um, but from talking to people uh, in the industry, it's fairly clear that very strong criticism of Hawthorne not putting in guardrails and uh, mechanisms to deal. If, 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 what, if, if the report was to be truly bad, no one would have thought at the time it was going to be, uh, detail some of what it did. But there are people saying Hawthorne should have been able, should have had guardrails in place to make sure they could deal with anything that came out of the report. Clearly, they didn't. They weren't prepared for some of what, for a lot of what was revealed in the inquiry, and uh, it was the fault of. And again, the terms of the inquiry were, were set by Justin Reeves, and he carries the can for that. So there were three big elements, we see, um, that probably paved the way for his departure. Yeah, Ash, and I want to ask you a question because I mean it's it's fairly sort of well known that. Um, that Clarko and Reeves didn't get on in the hub and obviously that that significantly started from a relationship point of view. But I want to ask you a question because you're the one that would probably shoot it down straight away. Um, the pure cynic in me, the absolute cynic in me about this whole situation as it's unfolded over the last, two weeks, two to three weeks, I, I do not want to downplay the um, the mental, um, physical, emotional toll that everything that has happened would have had on everyone involved. But we talked over the last couple of weeks about um, Clarko potentially being... Um, I'm sure at some point, at some level, he's taking advice and guidance on um, what he should be doing, implications of what he's doing, um, given the situation everyone finds themselves in. And he obviously walks away from the club to take some time off. Now Reeves doing the same thing. Um, again, I don't want to downplay the toll that it's probably taken, but it I don't know, is it just me, Ash? Like, there feels like there's something bigger, like there moves in this game of chess that, um, you know, we've heard a lot from Andy Gowers in the last week as well, which has been magnificent. But, oh, I don't know, the cynic in me goes, this is actually just part of the next step to trying to equal things out with Clarko having left North. Is that way too... Unfair. I don't know if it's unfair. Uh, certainly, I think there is an element that um, Reeves... There's, as I write, there's always casualties. You look at what happened at Essendon, you look what happened at Collingwood, and you look what's happened at Adelaide. The three sort of big cultural... Almost the big sort of scandals, I guess, at club level over the past decade. The senior management, in every instance, at Collingwood, it was, you know, it was Eddie McGuire at Collingwood, by the way, we forget. You know, this cost Eddie McGuire, you know, the presidency at Collingwood. Uh, they do better, and why they handled the do better report over there. There's the CEO, it had, you know, the, the, the buck stops with the CEO in a, in a big organisation, the footy club. So, you know, I think that's that was he was always going to be on thin ice, and and been hearing for weeks that you know you talk to anybody and they would say, oh, Rez, surely Justin Rees has to go, doesn't he? So that's why I wasn't at all surprised when Jake and I wrote the story yesterday. Is there more? Is it part of a, a bigger picture? I don't know. I think it's. I think he's the biggest one who will go. I'm not quite sure actually who's left at the club. But I guess the other one who might be um, the other person whose whose role comes into play is Ian Silk. He was the board member charged. Also, he was, he he had uh, oversight at board level for the initial inquiry. So whether Ian Silk is a casual down the track, I know Jordan Lewis on 360 said there are people at the club with blood on their hands. I don't know who he was referring to. I suspect, I suspect Justin Rees may have been one, but he said if there's people that that suggests there's more than one person. So we'll see what happens there. And then the next, the next offset of that Ash was um, the wonderful comments by friend of the show uh, Jeffrey uh, <laughs> JGK, who um, obviously. Um, at an early, was it an early morning tweet as opposed to a late night tweet? Um, and gee, did Hodgie give him a whack uh, 
through one of your mob's programs um, to respond back and say it was pretty clear from his point of view who he was aiming at, the uh, the Hardwick tweet about yes, leaving, leaving in a dignified manner yeah. and only enhancing his legacy and reputation. And, yeah. um, Jeff, Jeff, and I'm going to use a swear word, Jeff is full of shit with his... Of course he was talking about Clarkson with his tweet. I thought, absolutely. I thought Jeff had been, had been a fairly solid spokesman for the club uh, the last couple of weeks, but I think he yeah, did some of his good work with that tweet. It was unnecessary and... Uh, vindictive and it didn't need to be said. I think the I certainly think the uh, that um, Reeves the parting Hawthorne will pave will, will be the will be the start of a fall in the relationship between uh, the club and Clarkson. I mean obviously he's employed as he coach around the club now so there can only be so much contact anyway. We've talked about this a couple of times just how important the 2013 reunion is going to be as a healing exercise for the football club. And I think there's now a greater chance of Clarkson. Clarkson will always turn up for an unofficial event with the players of that team. There's no question about that. You know, he, he loves them dearly and, and it feels reciprocated by the players. But I think if the club's going to do an official function now, I think there's more chance that uh, Clarkson will be there um, without just And, and Andy Gower's... Andy Gow has hinted at that with his comments and he's probably at the other talking point, less so, but uh, the last week, Ash, I, you and I had a conversation about this around um, he's sort of uh, bided his time pretty well in, you know, taking over from Jeff and he's been pretty quiet and not so outspoken and obviously in the last sort of week and a half or two weeks when we've needed someone to have a presence and lead, I guess. He's done a pretty good job over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, certainly the club needed someone to come out. He did uh, SEN and 3W on Wednesday and then did a media conference this morning, which I've only, I haven't listened to. I've only seen the quotes. But uh, I think he's, he's, he's growing into the role. He deliberately, and we know this is fact, but he, he deliberately wants to be very low-key for his first three or four months to sort of be the almost anti-Jeff. But I thought what he said today was uh, was pretty strong. I have no doubt there's a lot going to be done behind the scenes. And, and to be fair to Clarko, first thing he needs to do is get himself well. And everybody hopes that happens at, at the time that suits him. And we repeat last week's uh, message through us that uh, everybody wishes him the best and hopes he's back too soon. Then he needs to return to his day job at the North Melbourne Footy Club. And that's his, other, that's his second priority is to go back to the club that's paying him and that, where, where he's working at now. But then the third part of that will be down the track will be hopefully that he and the club patch up the differences to some degree, as much as he can when you're a coach of a, of, of a rival club. So there, there's optimism that Clarko and Hawthorne, uh, you know, I think if I was a, I would say there's a, probably a 55 to 60% chance that Clarko will have some sort of involvement in a reunion come the end of the season because I think the president of Justin Rose at the club is a stumbling block. Um, and then we'll see whether the other missing piece of that, of course, is whether Cyril Rioli will be there as well. But there's a lot to play out um, with that. There looks like the AFL is feverishly working towards some sort of resolution, uh, certainly with so far as Clarko, Jason Burt, or Justin, as Jeff Kennett kept calling him, and Chris <laughs> Fagan are concerned. Then there will be a whole lot happening after that. I think the club is. I think we can more or less dismiss now there being any sanctions, any football sanctions against the club. I can't see there's really only one person on planet Earth who thinks that might still be the case. I don't think if, if you're going to if you're going to exonerate uh, the three alleged uh, perpetrators, then there's no cause at all for a football related sanctions to the football club. Now, financial sanctions are a different story. And if, if there's court action pursued, civil action through the courts, Hawthorne, I suspect at some stage Hawthorne will be coughing up a bit of money, um, a bit of money at some stage as this thing... Regularly. Rainy day funds. The rainy day funds. Rainy day right. fund type stuff. Yeah, so... Ash, one, one other aspect, um, and I know we, we want to move on from it, but I feel like um, seeing Dimmer retire... Oh, call it quits from the Tigers during the week and all of the comments and listening to talk back, all of the fans talking about everything that he's done for them and 
how it's changed their life and their family and the success that he's brought and all of that actually took me back to, we wrote an article at the end of last year or the start of this, uh, end of last year talking about now that it's happened, you know, what does Clark Code mean to you? What's his legacy? And that regardless of all of this other stuff that happens, listening to them talking about Damien Hardwick, that still rings true. And whilst um, tainted's probably not the worst, the word, while there's going to be some sourness around it all for a very long time, you can't take away the flags and you can't take away, you know, what he did and gave us. And I think we were kind of reminded about that in, in the wake of the Hardwick exit out of Richmond this week. Yeah, that's right. And uh, that was and that's the biggest footy story to drop for quite some time. Nobody had it except for Tom Morris. Finally remembered uh, Jim Harwick. He was a key offsider for five years at Hawthorne. And while, you know, three flags at Richmond as a coach uh, and a flag as a player at both Essendon and Port Adelaide would naturally take priority in his heart. He always has spoken very fondly of... In fact, he actually said at one stage, before he coached Richmond to the first of those premierships. I don't know if it's a conversation I had with him, but I remember reading something that he said the Hawthorne, because he was into, because he now considers himself a coach, that the Hawthorne premiership that he was part of in 2008 meant more to him than the premierships he, put, he played in for Essendon Port, which I found hard to believe. But he will, uh, as he reflects on everything, uh, as he sort of winds down, I've no doubt he'll coach again some stage before too long. The 2008 Hawthorne flag is something he has very, very fond memories of and he is very warmly regarded by everyone at Hawthorne who was involved uh, at the club on and off the field in that time. So we also wish him all the best. Now, let's go look through some comments before we turn our attention to um, Saturday afternoon against the Saints. Um Gunster, we need a decent scalp. The Saints have owned us for the last five times we've played. Hopefully, we've knocked them off on Saturday. We'll get to that shortly, but I'm sure we all agree. AK, Ward is 100% our second winger, along with Amon. Well, a lot of people would agree with that. As I said, I think he's just about there, but I, I the game awareness is one thing I think he needs to work on a little bit. I also think that will come, by the way. Um, Doc Mance, I'd like to see some of Cooper Stevens at senior level, but Nash Walker and Newcomb as the bigger inside mid that flying, really. Not draw how he gets to the side. Well, you, you're channeling the thoughts of our own, uh, our sadly missed Brad Klebanski, who's been lamenting, hasn't he, Lisey, on our WhatsApp group all week about Cooper Stevens and has he made a mistake coming to Hawthorne and will we ever have seen him play at senior level? I'm sure we will. Yeah, he's still so young that uh, he's just got to string games together because at the start of the season we were saying playing him, but he hasn't put, uh, you know, he's had. He's had a couple of injuries, I think a concussion, but he hasn't put solid back-to-back-to-back games for Box Hill and that's what he's going to need to do. And when he does that, he'll get a game. There's no no question. Per Dan, any word on contenders with new CEO? Well, I think they'll put it out to tender. However, there's a bit of mail around this afternoon that the Hawks are going to do the throw at the stumps to Travis Old, who is the uh, head of finance, clubs and broadcasting at the AFL and probably down to the last three for the AFL-CEO job. He is rumoured to be the warm favourite to become the new CEO of the uh, Australian Grand Prix Corporation, but I would be really surprised if Hawthorne don't at least have a conversation with him if, if they haven't had already to say, would you be interested in the job? And job wise would be his if he wanted it, I'm sure. I don't know. Where, I think the Grand Prix, we see flying off to Monaco and Monza and all those exotic locations are probably a bit more appealing to travel sold than going down to Launceston four times that's, a year. <laughs> it's, a pretty, <laughs> it's a pretty good gig. And Andrew Westercott, who was 2IC for a very long time, which was um, around the... I spent eight years in motorcycle sports, so doing MotoGP and very involved with the corporation. And he was 2IC before getting the job. Um it's obviously very, very coveted now, given the calibre of um, people we're talking about in line for that role. And, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, heading around the world to some of the F1 and MotoGP and other events might um, might be 
uh, having to play home games at Marvel Stadium. But uh, we'll, we'll see how that unfolds. Having said that, Westercott's not looking, Andrew Westercott, who loves footy, he wrote a piece, he wrote postcard to footy in the AFL grand final record either last year or the year before. He loves footy, big Bulldog supporter, but Westercott's not doing much now, so um, don't rule out. Put the feelers out to him, yeah, you reckon? They might, have, they might go after Westcott. Listen, the Hawthorne job has a lot of appeal. You're not going to be going cap in hand to the AFL looking for money. It's financially sound. Obviously, the short-term issue with helping the club get out of the situations in the moment is, you know, we'll take a challenge, but it's actually something that's very good for one's uh, professional development to do. And then there's all upside. Money in the bank, young developing team, finding a major sponsor, um, stadium deals. uh, Dingley. Dingley. It's actually a very attractive proposition. So I think they'll get a really good candidate. And I think the fact that you won't be working for Jeff Kennett and you'll be working with the likes of uh, Andy Gowers and Sam Mitchell... I think makes it a pretty appealing job. So I'll be, I'm looking forward to seeing who they appoint. I think it's a, it's a, it's a, a good job. Doc Mansell, I think uh, Harry Morrison, Bramble, Chad, DGB end up the trade table. I think they will all be talked about at the end of the year. I think Morrison's days, best 23, uh, uh, a number. Scrimshaw was brilliant. You're not going to get much for many of them, are you? Maybe, maybe DGB obviously DGB, holds value, but there's value. But Dr. Chad no, Morrison wouldn't think so. Maybe Scrimshaw would hold value, but what would you get for Scrimshaw? A second round or yeah, a third round? Uh, Greg mm-hmm. Fitzgerald, Jed Rule, any chance? There is a theory that the Hawks have been hiding Jed Rule after a four goal breakout performance for Box Hill. He mysteriously hasn't been seen since he's running around in the ammos. Uh, Dreadwell's name was called out by Hawthorne on uh, Wednesday night next week. It would not surprise me one bit. Um, do we use him as a draft for the next few years or for the long term? I think we'll use it for a while. Hawthorne's game plan at the moment is still to use the draft primarily. They're not ready to do the big free agent splash yet. They're probably a year or two away. I would think at the end of 2024 is when the Hawks will start getting into the free agency market. A bit like Melbourne. I'll follow Melbourne blueprint. When they thought they were close to winning a premiership, that's when Melbourne went and got the likes of Stephen May and Jake Lever. So I think Hawthorne Blue Pit will be very much like that. The commentators are finished. The commentators were hoping for West Coast win. I thought, no, I don't think really. I think I hope for a good game. Uh, they sounded bored out of their brains for a lot of it, I think. And it was such a boring game. If for a journalist or a broadcaster, it was a terrible, <laughs> boring game. Uh, Ned Moyle from Gold Coast. That's a player we talked about. Darren Levine had a crack. That's who it was. Darren. Dad loved Ned Moore. He was shattered he didn't come to Hawthorne. Um, and, yeah, Scrimshaw, what's going on Scrimshaw? Nobody quite knows. So thank you, everybody, for your, uh, your feedback and comments. We turn our attention before we finish up in a couple of minutes to Saturday at Marvel Stadium. Andrew Hawthorne v St Kilda, or more to the point, St Kilda v Hawthorne, being the same time game. And ridiculously, and we'll bitch about that later in the year, we're playing St Kilda as a... Um, home game at Marvel later on in the year. They've had their way with Secure, the, the Hawks Secure. They've won the last five, although I have no memory of this. I've blanked it out, but apparently last year, the second time Hawthorne played Secure at Marvel was a 12-point game. And I think Hawthorne must have been obviously in contention winning at some stage. So they big midfielders have always bothered Hawthorne. You know, Crouch and Steele and those guys get a ton of it. Seb Ross get a lot of it against Hawthorne. Rowan Marshall, he just wakes up in the morning of a, Hawthorne, a game against Hawthorne, rubs his hands together and says, this is going to be a very good day. So um, he looks forward to it. Uh, Max King, I think, didn't have his kicking boots on against Hawthorne last year, but stands out as a player who caused Hawthorne a lot of trouble. Interestingly, I haven't picked Tim Membry, who I was quite concerned about Hawthorne having to do with a forward line of both Membry and King, but Membry at this stage hasn't been picked. Um, no change at the Hawks. Clearly, there a higher likelihood it's going to be changed after last week. What are your thoughts heading into Saturday? So, uh, I feel like, and it's going to sound silly when you're, you've only won two games of the season, I think they're very gettable, St Kilda. So, first off, that game last year, which was low scoring, I think it was in the 70s was or 60s. 10, 15 to 9, uh, 9. And I think they were about six goals up at three-quarter time. So we got – I think we outscored them by three or four goals in the last quarter, which were all um, – uh, yeah, I don't think we were actually ever in that game. Um, but if you look at the, the Saints and you look at their last sort of four matches, they sort of stumbled over the line against 
GWS last week. I, I thought Giants should have won that. The week before, they got absolutely trounced by Adelaide, 52 points. The week before that, um, it was a 64-34 to 34 game against North Melbourne. And the week before that, they got done by Port Adelaide. So they're, they're not in the best form. So, so I think they're very, very gettable. What will be interesting to see will be how much of that enthusiasm from the week after West Coast carries into the game. Um, it'll be interesting to see the rucking combination again because Ned's obviously been named. So see how he goes. Meek had a pretty good second half last week. Um, but yeah... It'll be interesting to see which Hawthorne turns up and and if the chips are down early, um, whether it is one of those games that we've seen a few of this year that just continues on, nothing goes right, have a good 20-minute patch and still lose by 10 goals, or whether or not we can turn it into a tight contest with a bit of the confidence that we're carrying in from last week. But I think they're very gettable, Ash. Well, I say that every time Hawthorne plays St Kilda, I look at the two teams on paper and think there's no reason why Hawthorne can't win and they just they just don't get near them. And as, don't turn as, up. as Mick just said on the comments, it's uh, Marshall and Ryder and their runners have chopped Hawthorne up. I think Hawthorne will be much better prepared for this game. I think structurally, they're in a good space. I really like, as I said before, I really like the way the team's set up with two proper key defenders, two tall marking forwards, um, and allowing Sicily to be the third defender. I just think they look so much better doing that. Um, so I, I go in there, I'm looking forward to the game. And as soon as that game finished, it was like, well, I'm really looking forward to seeing. Because if they play, if they can play well against St Kilda, given why St Kilda's owned Hawthorne, and a well-coached St Kilda, if they can play well against St Kilda, not necessarily win, but if they play well against St Kilda, it is a real sign of progress, even perhaps more so than beating West Coast by 116 points. So I think that's the interest out of out of uh, Saturday. I think uh, the point was made in the commentary that and most people would agree that Hawthorne will, over the course of the season, they won't just beat West Coast and North before the season's done, Hawthorne. At some stage, Hawthorne will beat a team, not a top four team or top six team, but they'll beat one of those teams seventh to 15th on the ladder. I'm not sure who it'll be. I think Carlton's a big chance for Hawthorne to beat in a few weeks' time. I think Richmond's a chance for Hawthorne to beat late in the season, you'd like to think that we one of the two against St Kilda. It's a shame they're both at Marvel where the Saints play pretty well. So it'll be a good game. It's an interesting, Ash, it's an interesting three-week run leading into the bye because it's possibly the most winnable of them all. We've got Port in Adelaide next week and then we've got Brisbane at the G. Hawthorne always plays Brisbane, so put that... Always always has a good game against Brisbane. Since 2019. Especially at the G. (laughs) Especially at the G. However, um, they're probably, I mean, Port are doing pretty well, but probably the best of those three teams at the moment and in isolation right now, if you said we were most likely to win one of those three games, I don't know about you, Ash, but for me, it would be St Kilda. I agree with you on that. The, the winnable games will come after the bye. You know, they, they, and when they finally start playing most of their games in Melbourne, that'll help as well. They've been ridiculous how often Hawthorne's had to go into state. Um, once they settle down, that last seven of the last nine games are in Melbourne, and I think uh, six of them are at the MC, five or six of them at the MCG, that's when we'll start to see some... Um, you know, they're the games I expect Hawthorne to win. And they said, what did uh, Rob McCartney say before we finish up? What did Rob McCartney say to us when we had him on the podcast pre-season? They'll win more games in the second half of the season than the first. And I think it's tracking in that direction. So we will wait and see. It will be a good uh, good outing. Looking forward to going and seeing how they stack up. And uh, given that I have more secure supporters in my life than any other club, including Hawthorne, uh, it will be very, very sweet. If the Hawks and I don't hate St Kilda, I quite like St Kilda, but I really enjoy Hawthorne beating St Kilda, and I don't like the fact they've won the last five because, as I've written the AFL record this week, it's been a long-standing tradition Hawthorne to beat up on St Kilda, and hasn't been happening enough lately. So we'll see what happens. That has been the spaces for this week. We did it just the two of us. Can we take a week off next week? I think we've earned it. I actually won't be on the spaces next week. I definitely won't be around, but. Uh, Hopefully you and the others will be. So thanks, everyone, for listening and putting up for the two of us tonight. Thanks for those who contributed with questions, uh, either coming on and chatting or through the, uh, through the chat mechanism. 
Don't forget your support of Hawks Insiders. $5 a month, $50 a year for great brown and gold content. A couple of journos we're going to come on tonight to have a chat. Both couldn't at the last minute, but it said they'll try and come back in the next few weeks to have a chat about the Hawks. So we'll keep pushing that to get them on as soon as we can. So have a good week. Enjoy the game. If you see one of the footy, be sure to come and say hello. I'll be there. You going? You going Saturday, Boise? Absolutely. Yes. Straight straight from the game to my parents' parents in law's fiftieth oh. wedding anniversary. My mother in law, who is a diehard St Kilda fan, so oh, well, hopefully, hopefully, I'm smiling. You in the scarf proudly. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy the uh, rest of the week. Enjoy the weekend. We'll chat. Don't forget our recap pod will be out Monday morning, and our recap article as well. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks and good night. Thanks so much for listening to Hawks Insiders. Head to our Substack for more quality analysis, special features, news, interviews, and so much more.